The first person I spoke with at the fetish party at Continuum Dungeon was its headmistress, the lovely... Mistress Cleo LeVamp. Cleo has been at the Continuum for about eight years and has worked as a professional dominatrix for more than a decade. And to state the obvious, she's seen some interesting things. Some people will bring in produce to have uh, inserted in their, their rectum. And I, I once had a man bring in a large bunch of bananas and he wanted to see how many could fit in there. And I got in, like, I think it was at least five. I got five in there, and then he said, oh, I can't hold them anymore. So I said, all right, let me go get the bin. So I was going to go get the, the rubbish bin to let him, relieve, you know, empty him out in there. And the, in the seconds it took me to walk over and retrieve the bin, a banana projectiled out of his bum and shot at least six feet across the dungeon floor. And so uh, being very displeased that he was not able to hold it, I made him eat it off the floor. And like a good masochist, he did. Right? Yes, of course. I started episode two by mentioning that I'm difficult to shock. But it's safe to say Mistress Cleo is a little more difficult to phase. So, of course, I had to ask about the most shocking thing she had witnessed as a pro-dom. One quick warning. If you have a penis and you are particularly squeamish, maybe mute your device for the next two minutes or so. You've been warned. I had a man come in who had no genitals. He had purposely had them removed. And then, uh, like a Ken doll? Almost. There was a little stump left, which he wanted me to remove as well. Apparently the person who removed this was uh, some mistress of his in in the past. He was a medical student and he wanted it all gone. So testicles had been removed and uh, you could see where there was stitching there and there was a little stump of a penis left. And he wanted, uh, he brought in his own cautery device and blades, uh, surgical blades, and he wanted cutting and branding on that. And ultimately, he wanted that to be removed as well and to be made totally flat. And I said, no, <laughs> you know, that's, that's not what we do here. When I, when I wouldn't do it, he, he saw two other girls here and tried to get them to do it. I even went as far to ask one of them if, he, if she would be able to redirect, to completely remove the stump and then redirect his urethra so that it would come out of his anus. And she said, um, no, we can't actually do that. Number one, we're not medical, we're not doctors. And even if we were, that would not be an ethical practice for us to gauge in. So sorry, but no. That's insane that he got a mistress to do everything up until that point. Yeah, I know. I question uh, that person's ethics, but it's not, uh, you know, if it was consensual and... Not my point, my place to judge, but yeah, that's um, that's quite a story. <laughs> I think Cleo's inclination not to judge but also not to participate is the correct one, and I hope that this person was able to have this procedure done since adults should be allowed to do what they choose with their own bodies. But I hope this procedure was performed by a doctor in a sterile environment and not in a dungeon. And while we might be tempted to judge this person, let's fight that urge, because at the end of the day, it's his body, 
And who the fuck are we to judge anyone? Welcome to episode three of Sex with Strangers. I'm your host, Chris Soa. Most of this episode takes place at a fetish party at Continuum Dungeon in Chicago. We will hear from three professional dominatrixes, some party attendees, including a very kinky German. This may sound weird, but I've been kinky all my life. Along with some other fun characters. And now I'm playing with your boob. <laughs> I noticed. She's playing with her boob. <laughs> and now he's playing with, now everyone's playing with everyone's boobs. <laughs> and now my boobs are being played with. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. Uh, a lawyer who can cross her legs behind her head, that's that's pretty amazing. It's a great combo. Yes, you want to see it? Sure. It's unfortunate that we cannot get the visual across in this audio way. Right. <laughs> I'm also including audio from a conversation I had with Tynan Fox, who gives speeches across the country about BDSM and kinky sex. Here's how he describes himself. I'm just a rubber boy on a mission to change the world one person at a time. We've got a lot to cover on this show. I hope all of you rubber boys and rubber girls stick around. There are plenty of moments in this episode where the background noise sounds like something kinky is going on. Someone's being whipped. Yes. (laughs) And in every case, rest assured that your ears are not deceiving you. If it sounds like someone is being whipped or paddled or flogged in the background, that is probably what is happening. One term you will hear throughout this episode is BDSM. And it's kind of a tricky acronym because those four letters represent six things, not four. And those six things are bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. Another thing I would say to someone who is not particularly familiar with this community but might want to attend a BDSM event is don't bring up that one book. God, what's the name of it? Fifty Shades of Bullshit. No, that's not it. Fifty Shades of Vomit. We're getting closer. Fifty Shades of Grey. I hate that fucking shit. There it is. Fifty Shades of Grey. That portrays this fucking community so fucking wrong. That's not that's abusive, that's abuse. Yeah, it is. And now there's all these people being introduced to it, and they're being introduced in the context of abuse and not being listened to. And it's not, you know, you know what what people see is is the show. What they don't see is the rehearsal. For BDSM, the rehearsal is the talking and the planning and the figuring out. Because the whole thing is about consent. That's right. BDSM at its core is about consent and constant consent. That's why there are safe words as well as safe gestures. If the sub in the scene is gagged, which is, well, not uncommon. And full disclosure, I'm not particularly into BDSM or part of that community. But I do consider myself a friend of the community or an ally, if you will. And I identify with a lot of the anger many people in this world feel toward the media because they are often portrayed as monsters. And it could not be further from the truth. Some of the most thoughtful and intelligent people I know are heavily involved with BDSM. And I guarantee, whether you know it or not, the same is true in your life. One of the main misconceptions in the vanilla world about BDSM has to do with what Mistress Desiree, another pro-dom working at the Continuum, likes to call... Uh, The paradox of the dominant and submissive relationship. What a lot of people don't realize 
is that even though... It appears that the submissive's job is to serve the dominant, but that's not the case. The dominant is serving the submissive. Let's hear that one more time, but this time from Crystal and her fiancé, Dan. The sub is the one in control. The dom is the one facilitating the sub's fantasies at at the base. You know, uh, of course, in any relationship, that's going to be more true for some people than for other people because people are different. Crazy. It's really the curse of responsibility. Which is why I would never want to be a dom because the whole point is I want to give up responsibility and I'm tired of being responsible for shit. Yeah, you know, it's exactly like I'm. You know, I'm a dom, but I, I, I don't like the idea of being a sub. But I totally get the stereotype of like a high power executive who goes to see a professional dominatrix. Now, this is probably easiest to grasp when thinking about the professional world. Of course, a pro dom who you are paying probably wants you to pay her again for her services, so she's going to make your specified desire the focus of the scene. But this is also the case in the non-professional world. Part of the dom's job, in many cases, is to push the sub and test his or her limitations. But the sub is the one who is in charge of deciding when those limitations have been met. And before any of this happens, a conversation takes place that outlines the parameters of the scene. As we heard Crystal say earlier. What people see is is the show. What they don't see is the rehearsal. For BDSM, the rehearsal is the talking and the planning. And that's not to say this is the case 100% of the time. This is the case when BDSM is done properly. Just like you can undercook a chicken and serve your family a dinner teeming with salmonella, you can underprepare for a BDSM scene. And maybe it will work out just fine. Or maybe you'll destroy your relationship. And obviously there's plenty of light role-playing or spanking that doesn't really require this type of preparation. Though I do think the vanilla world could learn a lot about communication and consent from the BDSM world. Here's Benedito, the kinky German from earlier, expanding on this point. Um, people who are into this kind of stuff are, in my experience, much better about consent because they are used to having to negotiate the details of a scene. They actually call it negotiate, which is sort of a weird word. It's more like a discussion, right? But like you really agree on the details of what you're going to do. And that's something, when you think about, nobody else ever does. Right? I mean, you know, when you go home with a girl, like, do you ever ask, can I take your top off? Right. You don't, right? You right. take it off. Do you ask, can I kiss you? Like, she probably would be you know, pretty unhappy if you asked that, in fact, right? Whereas in the kink world, I find people are really good about being forward about things, but asking in a polite way if that's okay, if that's fun, if that's good. Part of why some men visit professional doms is because they're afraid to talk about these issues with their partners. And sadly, those fears are often valid Here's Desiree again. A lot of times, some of the gentlemen who I might see here at the dungeon, you know, um, they have a feeling of alienation and isolation, even if they're married people. They may not feel free to share some of their wishes and desires with their partner because historically they've had bad experiences when they've been upfront about this. And part of why this happens is because of all the misconceptions surrounding this community. The worst example was told to me by Tynan Fox. You guys remember Tynan. 
I'm just a rubber boy on a mission to change the world one person at a time. Tynan has been changing the world by blogging and speaking about these issues around the country. He's been speaking at colleges for about three years now. I spoke with him during a recent trip to St. Paul, Minnesota. And a major reason why he does the work that he does is to help kinky people realize that they are not alone. There's one college student in particular who's always on the back of his mind. After I did my very, one of my very first BDSM presentations, she, like, after it was over, ran up to me and she was just in tears. She actually had been so ostracized by some of her friends while she was in college because she told them she was into being tied up that um, they made so much fun of her and completely ostracized her. Had her convinced she actually had some kind of mental defect and belonged in a psych institution. And she uh, had, it got so bad at her college, she actually had to quit school and switch universities in the middle of a semester. That was just because she liked to be tied up. Who hasn't at least thought about being tied up? She never knew that there were other people in this world like her and that anyone out there could even accept her for who she is. So um, she ran up and just tears streaming down her face and threw her arms around me. And I thought to myself, my God, how many more of them, of us, are out there struggling with this? This is part of why people come out as kinky. We're all familiar with the idea of people coming out as gay or bi or trans, but people come out as all kinds of things. People come out as atheists, people come out as polyamorous, and people come out as kinky. Which can mean a lot of things. It doesn't have to relate to BDSM, but it often does. Going through this process, in addition to being potentially very rewarding personally, also raises visibility for whatever group you're coming out as and serves to help normalize the behavior. Both Benedito and Tynan recently came out as kinky to their parents, and the similarities between them go well beyond that. This may sound weird, but I've been kinky all my life. I really have. I have a kink memory from when I was four years old, when I was in kindergarten. I remember just being really attracted to the sensation of feeling sort of um, slick materials, like... uh, Sort of like vinyl or something like okay. that, you know? And the fascination was that. And I have like very early childhood memories of being fascinated with bondage. You know, whatever forms of bondage you might come across in the normal word in quotation marks. And now Tynan. I knew I was kinky before I even knew I was gay, to be completely honest with you. I knew I was kinky from a specific moment in time when I was four years old. And uh, I was in the back of my parents' station wagon... <laughs> And we were driving on a very long, long road trip for vacation. And I remember sitting there and doing a coloring book because 12-hour car ride. And the very last picture in the coloring book was this picture of three cowboys all tied back to back to back um, with an Indian riding away on a horse in the background. And all three of them were gagged with these gigantic bandanas covering their mouths. And all of them looking particularly unhappy about their particular predicament and I remember even at four years old um, being aroused by that picture Um, that was long before I even knew what sexuality even was it was long before I even had a grasp on men versus women versus right versus wrong four might seem a little young but my earliest memories of having sexual feelings that I did not act upon but nonetheless processed in some way even though I had no idea what sex was yet, 
also occurred in kindergarten. So something tells me this isn't particularly uncommon. But another interesting similarity shared by these two men is the fact that they both came out as kinky to their parents at the age of 28. Um, with my parents, it certainly involved a lot of red wine, luckily. Um, and it involved my mom being weirdly curious about the subject. <laughs> what, what kind of questions did she ask? Oh, all kinds you can imagine. I just said something along the lines of that I'd be happy to tell her if she wanted to know. And this was even before I really came out as kinky or it was pretty vague, you know, and she clearly wanted to know. And it was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. I was, of course, terrified of the experience, you know, as anyone would be, right? And uh, it was great. I'm really glad I did that, you know. But the experiences were a bit different. Tynan, who had come out to his parents as gay 10 years earlier, definitely has less open-minded parents than Benedito. It was just as scary as coming out to them as when I was 18. I honestly felt like I was 18 all over again, and the whole time I felt absolutely ridiculous. Like, God, we're all adults here. Can't we just be adults? Why can't this just be easier? Why do I have to have all of these feelings happen all over again? Because I... They live two states away. I don't ever see them. And yet I'm still clinging to the hope that I could have the acceptance and love. I have the acceptance, but I don't have the blessing, not by any means. They oh, okay, they, so they're, they're a little conservative? Extremely. Um, they accept it. In, my mother said, quote, because she has to accept it because it's reality. Um, that does not mean I have their blessing, no. Now, is that the same with the gay thing, or...? Yes, actually. So... Ten years, my parents still wish I would become straight. <laughs> now, if you're thinking you would have loved to be a fly on the wall and listen to Tynan coming out as kinky to his parents, you are in luck. What did you say when you came out as kinky? I actually posted the entire... I um, somehow in my delirium and my ADHD had the foresight to turn the voice recorder on on my cell phone and I set it down on the dinner table uh, for the entire conversation we had and the whole thing is actually posted on YouTube on uh, my Tynan Fox page on YouTube. It's about 20 minutes long, there's no video, but I mean, it. I've been told by a, a number of people that it has made a huge difference on them and their way they think about their own sexuality and coming out processes. So um, I am just actually thrilled that I even thought to do that in the first place because that's not something I would typically do. It's worth a listen. And I've linked to it at sexwithstrangersshow.com. Tynan travels around the country speaking and answering questions about kinky sex and BDSM. And I was curious if there was ever a question that jumped out as the most interesting or challenging. And the one he mentioned qualifies as both. It's challenging in part because the questioner voiced concern for a minor, her 15-year-old sister. And it's also challenging because it involves a paraphilia which, to put it simply, is a fetish that could be considered harmful to the person or others. She had found her, that her sister was looking at, at 15 years old, really delving into and looking at and chatting about um, pregnancy 
porn, pregnancy fetishes. And she was uh, afraid that her sister was going out and having unprotected sex so that she would get pregnant and could live out part of her fetish at 15 years old. Um, which is a perfectly legitimate question. And when you're talking about a 15-year-old, a legitimate question potentially for parents to get involved. But, I mean, my answer that I recommended was uh, don't uh, do that. First of all, if there was ever a sisterhood bonding conversation that needed to happen, that would be the one. You need to talk to her as your sister, first of all. Another thing to keep in mind, when you come across a friend or family member's private correspondences about their sexual fantasies and desires, is the fact that a lot of fantasies stay fantasies. Maybe this girl is out in the world having unprotected sex in order to get pregnant. Or maybe she just gets off on talking about it and has no plans to act further. Since the questioner has legitimate reasons for concern, and her sister is technically a child, I think it's okay for her to get involved. But the first step needs to be talking to her sister about the issue. There's probably nothing that can be done to make this fantasy go away. But there are safe ways to explore it. Role-playing is a great way for people to live out their more outlandish fantasies in a responsible way. And if this 15-year-old girl, who is probably not in the best position to bring a child into the world, is not aware of this... It's important that someone explain to her that role-playing is a legitimate option before she goes out and makes a life-altering decision. Role-playing is a major component of BDSM, both in the lifestyle community and the professional world. Here's Mistress Desiree with some examples. We played boss secretary and daddy daughter. Um, I've played a babysitter. I've done religious role-play. I've played a strict school marm who is fed up with your utter lack of discipline. I have uh, been an Edwardian matron in the parlor and had a servant to massage my soles and pour me wine and read to me while I uh, rest and relax. Yeah. All sounds like fun. What, is, is there a particular role that like jumps out as like your favorite to play? Mm, well, I'm 41 years old, and I think my favorite, well, my favorite Wait, and role... And by the way, you don't look 41, just for the record. Just oh, the well, record. I think I do. I think that this is what 41 is supposed to look like. <laughs> I sold my soul to the devil in exchange for eternal youth and beauty, okay? You can cut that part out of the interview, right? I guess... Okay, uh, no, I think the, the scenes that I most get pigeonholed for, you know, clients have a way of typecasting us because the one thing that clients have in common, whether they're fetishist, submissive, masochist, or whatever they are, what, one thing that a lot of them have in common is they objectify us. And I'm often objectified as the MILF that you didn't get to tap when you were hanging out at your friend's house playing video games. Remember your one friend who had a really hot mom? And you didn't get to hit it, did you? Hello. <laughs> so, let's say someone does that fantasy. They uh-huh. want you to be their friends, their Hot friend's mom. mom. Yeah. How does that play out in 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 a role playing session? Oh well, I don't want to. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to divulge too many details of what might go on in a scene. But 
I would probably humiliate the gentleman a little bit for watching me disrobe in the bathroom. I would probably mock his uh, clumsy seduction attempts. I would probably give him a little bit of physical torment and then I would find a way to elegantly present him with his own derriere. And again, this is not just something that gets winged. Role-playing is not some kinky improv game. It's all about planning and open dialogue. I prefer to have a good 24 to 48 hour notice, but in reality, I can be ready to session with a gentleman in an hour. And you have to understand that the scenario I just outlined was an example, okay? A gentleman comes to the dungeon with a very specific scenario in mind. And, you know, it's my job to get into his head and find out what it is that he really wants today. And I do that in the simplest and most straightforward way you can imagine. I just sit down with him and ask him to tell me about his fantasy. If they know they're not going to be judged, they'll tell you. You know, people, people want to get these things off their chest. You know, that's why they're here. And so my biggest job is to be the kind of person who they can feel free to tell these things to. And this conversation continues after this session is over. I ask them to tell me about the good, the bad, and the ugly. How did you feel about that? What was your favorite part? Was there anything that made you feel uncomfortable? You seemed to start a little bit or jump when I did this or said that. You know, I talked to them about this. Because my presumption and my hope is that they will come back again and their next session will be that much better. The dungeon also has a hospital room that's great for role-playing and actually could be perfect for that 15-year-old once she reaches adulthood to maybe get some fake ultrasounds or even pretend to give birth. The clients of the dungeon, though, are almost exclusively male. So I decided to ask Cleo what kind of scenarios are explored in that hospital space. Oh, just your typical doctor-patient, nurse-patient, role-play type of scene where they're, you know, coming into the doctor and getting an exam and getting a prostate exam, you know, having to give a semen sample at the end. Um, Some people might want more uh, heavier activities like the urethral sounds and enema, um, needle play. So it can be anything from a very soft doctor-patient role-play to a more uh, heavy, invasive type activity. Now, now going back to to training people to do this for the first time, I mean, I would think things like needles for, like, some people, I would think that there would be, you know, mistakes could be made, issues, I mean, does anything come to mind where... Again, as long as they're trained properly, it's needle play is really not that difficult. It's only putting a needle through the very superficial layers of skin. Um, so you basically just have to train them where it's safe to do that, not to go too deep, obviously. Um, but it's you know it's not really that difficult to learn. How many hours of training does it take to to be a, a dom? That's our, our apprentices go through a three-month training period coming in twice a week, eight hours a day. 
Okay, so 16, 16 hours a week for for 12 weeks? Yeah. That is that is quite intensive. That's um, 192 hours, I think? Yeah. Yes, I know. I'm a mathematical genius. There's no need to tell me. I think it's clear in this clip that I asked Cleo a few times if she was worried about someone getting hurt during any of these scenarios. And the activity that scares me the most, in this regard at least, is CBT, or cock and ball torture. And for some people, it could be something very simple, like tying up the cock and balls with rope, you know, just very light uh, flogging with like a little small, you know, we call a cock whip, little uh, things like that, to um, maybe attaching uh, clothes pegs to the balls or using a riding crop. Um, and it could go to the far end of the extreme as well, where people will be into just all-out uh, ball busting, which is like kicking, kneeing in the balls. So it's a wide, uh, wide spectrum of what people are, are into at, at that level. And through your training and research on like how to do this safely, what sort of things should you not do when portraying a cock and balls? Well, I mean, for something like ball crushing, for example, we have devices called ball crushers, and you, you, you put the balls in there and you very gradually clamp it down, and, you know, testicles are very pliable, and if you go slowly, you can flatten them out like a pancake quite safely, but you don't want to go right all at once, clamp it down, full power, first on. You've got to move slowly with everything. And, and that's kind of the uh, same thing with, like, weights, with, like, uh, ball stretching where you attach a parachute or uh, you can use make rope uh, with one and, and start to hang weights from the balls. Again, you don't start with your gallon jug, <laughs> heaviest uh, weight that you have. You start out with a very light weight and you gradually add the weight so it's, it's all about building up to it and not going full on with anything right off the bat. Hey, have you heard of any injuries or anything like that? I, I did have one client who uh, had gone to another dungeon and asked to be put in a chastity device. And the woman apparently put the chastity device on too tightly to not allow for the natural erections that men get in their sleep or whatnot and so the man got uh, erection in his sleep and it, it tightened so tightly around the chastity belt um, that he, it started to cut off blood supply and he had to actually go into hospital to have it removed removed? yes like he no longer has a penis no, no, no. The, oh, the, oh, the, the chastity, chastity device. Because, oh, okay. uh, you know, it was the middle of the night. He had no way to privately contact the mistress with the key. So he had to have the the, uh, the, devi the, the device removed in hospital. Not his penis. No, no. Oh. But the doctor, he said the doctor actually told him had he waited like another hour to come in, it would have been that result. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I was only... Off by an hour. Right. And my, yeah, that, that is super scary. Yeah. Cleo said that cock and ball torture is one of the top three most requested services at the dungeon. In fact, it's so popular that sex toy companies have taken note. 
most of the guys I see are not into the really heavy, intense torture. It's more like, you know, a little bit of tying up, some just light little flogging. Uh, with, you know. with a cock whip, and that's like something you you buy, and it's actually called a cock whip. It's like specifically for, for, for whipping the cock. That's, yes. that's cool that there's this whole sort of line of products for cock and ball torture. Oh, what what other huge. ones are there? The device is called Ball Crushers. Okay, the Ball Crushers. Are there other products There's like something that? called a Humbler, which um, goes beh- it goes on the back end, and it, the, the testicles go through a little opening, and it's kind of a long, wooden-shaped uh, device that is fitting to the back of the thighs, so it pulls the testicles through their legs, and then uh, the device secures it to the back underneath their bum. Um, so that's one. And, of course, there's the parachutes for hanging weights from the balls, uh, the multitude of cock rings and that sort of thing. Um, electrical, I mean, there's electrical stimulation devices for the area. There's uh, urethral sounds which are uh, thin metal rods that are inserted into the urethra. (laughs) While at the dungeon, I did speak with one man who is into some of these activities, and that is Kyle. Kyle has been Mistress Cleo's slave for close to three years now. We'll unpack the use of the word slave shortly, but first let's hear from Kyle. Have you experienced any of this? None of the specific devices. She's tried to talk me into it a few times, but we haven't quite gotten there yet. But, like, the ball busting I've done, um, it's actually one of my preferred things, surprisingly. I'm probably with a few that are, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so, so what does ball busting feel like? It's hard to really describe. It happened to me, the first time I was exposed to it, it happened by accident. I was hanging out at home. Uh, some friends of mine were coming over, and this girl jumped over the back of the couch I was laying on, rise I rolled over, and the heel of her boot landed square on my balls. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, you're talking you're in grade school and growing up that that's going to hurt like hell. And it did, but then I found out, like, shortly after afterwards that that doesn't hurt as bad. So I, it's very hard to find a uh, woman in this day and age that you want to tell them, you know what, I want you to try something. I want you to do, I want you to kick me in the nuts. And most of them will just look at you, what the hell is wrong with you? Um, but fortunately with Mistress Cleo here, I've become very fortunate. And uh, it's, it's a different kind of, it, there's no real way to define the sensation. You know two people are alike. What may feel great for me won't feel so great for someone else. Other people can take a more severe impact than I'm able to take. It just it all depends. I guess you could say, there's maybe a little bit of a rush to it, you could maybe say. Um... Other than that, I'm not really sure how to describe it. It's not uncommon to enjoy something, particularly something sexual, and not really to be able to articulate why. He gets a rush from it. And had that girl not accidentally need him, he may have never discovered his penchant for this activity. Kyle's story reminds me of how Crystal, who we heard from earlier, discovered her identity as a submissive. You didn't discover this until you were 18? Oh, no. So I discovered it when I was younger. I just didn't realize that it would be something I was interested in. It was like the stuff that I read. And I was like, I like reading this. 
and yet did not make the connection that that would probably be something I'm interested in. It was like a very removed thing, and then like the first time I was having sex, this, you know, we're both virgins, it's super awkward, right? So his hands happened to fall on my wrists when my hands were above my head, and I just go like, fireworks, explosion, like, wow, crazy, this isn't just something I like reading about, this is something I like. Crystal continues to pursue that rush. That's why she came to this party. I spoke with her shortly after she had been whipped while blindfolded and shackled to a St. Andrew's cross, which basically looks like a giant wooden X. It's like getting high. It's like anything else. It's like just altering your state. That's what humans do. We like to change how we, how our brains deal with shit. We drink, we take drugs, we self-flagellate. This is the thing people have been doing forever. It's not like, it's not like a new thing that we suddenly invented. Humans like to like push themselves to the limit and then see how it feels. It's like people go skydiving, except I'm afraid of heights, so I get naked in public and let people whip me. Not just anyone, people I love and trust. So there, there's a level of exhibitionism to it oh, as absolutely. well. <laughs> I don't think people come to something like this if they don't want to be shown off, if they don't want to show off. I mean, people can do this in their homes. So yeah, absolutely. I like attention. This is a really great outlet for that. Getting up on the train and being like, hey, pay attention to me, not so good. Yeah, I don't want attention on the CTA. So I don't, I don't particularly. Well, there's definitely some people I don't want attention from here, but that's what he's good for. So. <laughs> so you don't want to be whipped on the train. Um, I am very big on consent, and I'm not actually really big on public things in general because I think that it's a real imposition on people to take something that I find to turn on and, and make them be part of my sex life. That's creepy as hell. There's some implied consent with people being here. So I don't, I don't want to, it's not that I don't want to be whipped on the train, it's that I don't want to subject other people to me being whipped on the train. Crystal met her current partner and fiancé, Paul, over the internet. We met on a BDSM website. Okay. And now we're getting married. We're the success story for Collarby.com. Yeah. We can like, it's like Match, except we can put our pictures on there. It's yeah. beautiful. It's Way better than Match. The fact that we met there is hilarious, not just because it's a BDSM website, but because it's specifically it's Collarby.com, which is like... It's as shitty as their web design. Yeah, it's really shitty. It's super shitty. But we're the success story. Well, congratulations on being that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're happy. Someone had to do <laughs> this goes without saying, but the internet is a great place for kinky people to find each other. You're mostly a, a sub? Absolutely. And are, yeah. are you a dumb? Yes. Okay, well that, that works out well. Uh, otherwise... Yes. Um, yes, otherwise that can get a little either contentious like, or people on the Pull my hair. No, pull my hair. Tie me up. No, tie me up. And that's not to say there aren't plenty of people who are switches, meaning they switch back and forth between being doms and being subs. And whether you are looking for a dom, a sub, a switch, or someone who's still figuring all of this out, the internet is a great place to find them. Colorme.com is one example. A much more popular site is fetlife.com. But let's talk about the name Colorme for a second, because I mentioned earlier that we talk about the word slave. It's obviously a very loaded term, and it's thrown around quite a bit in this world. Multiple people mention the idea of being a collared slave. And yes, that often does mean they wear an actual physical collar. Kyle was wearing a collar when I spoke with him. There was also a leash attached to that collar, which was held by Mistress Cleo. Now, he wasn't scantily clad or 
crawling on the ground. He was upright and fully dressed. A lot of these slave-slash-master or slave-slash-mistress relationships are relatively casual. The word slave is just another term for submissive. And outside of play scenarios, many of these relationships function like your standard couple. There are, of course, plenty of exceptions to this. Some masters and mistresses have multiple slaves, who they may or may not have relationships with outside of play scenarios. But often when someone says they are a collared slave, they basically just mean that they are the submissive in a BDSM couple. And outside of these play scenarios, their relationship isn't particularly different from what your average vanilla couple has going on. There's a fascinating episode of the Risk podcast called Slave that delves into the racial politics of this term. It revolves around one story told by an African-American woman, Melina Williams, who had a really troubling role-playing experience. It shows that sometimes even if you're experienced and you plan ahead and go through the appropriate process to make sure everything is consensual, there is always room for human error and trauma. I've linked to this episode at sexwithstrangersshow.com, and I recommend checking it out. Avoiding this kind of issue is part of why it's important for doms to experiment with being subs. And sometimes these experiences aren't great. Here's Mistress Elena Croft. There's plenty of people out there that don't know what they're doing that will call themselves a dom, master, mistress, or anything like that, and take a sub, take their trust and just misplace it, just throw it away, and completely use and abuse that person. And, and it's terrible when that's happened. And it's happened to me before, personally. And um, how, how did that happen to you? Well, I went into, I've had relationships where I would go into being a living slave or something like that, and the expectations were never met, and the, the so-called dom would neglect or just completely go off and be like, okay, I have you, so now I'm going to go get this other person and this other person. It's like, ooh, I have a shiny object, now I'm going to go get another shiny object. Mistress Desiree has been living at Continuum Dungeon for four years now. And her first year there, she was not a dominatrix. She was a collared slave for a master, which is a male dominant. As a slave, I was in a position to learn about BDSM from the other side of the whip. And I can't overestimate the value of having submissive experiences if you're considering being a dominant. Mistress Cleo had a similar experience starting at a much earlier age. I got into this when I was about 14. Um, and I was uh, living in London at the time, and I, I met this man from Germany who was twice my age. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of a scandalous little Lolita, but he was a dom, and I was kind of uh, enamored with him. And so I experienced uh, some time being his slave. Um, and it was a good learning experience, and I highly recommend anyone who wants to become a dom to at least at some point in their life experience the submissive end of it, because it helps you to understand more of what what everything feels like physically, psychologically, uh, what it, how to best get into your client's head to know what they're thinking, what they're feeling when they're in subspace. 
Um, so I had that experience. I had one more uh, a little bit later on in life. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's really not my preferred. Uh, I mean, my first experience was great, and I learned a lot from it. I moved on from there. The second time was kind of just. It takes a lot for me to submit to someone. It takes the illusion of them being above me in some way, which obviously is just an illusion. But once you, you know, once I realise, yeah, right, you're, you're not, you're not that special. <laughs> and it's like, no, I can't submit to you anymore. But uh, you know, it's, it was fun. Pleasing a professional can be a daunting task. I've uh, come to expect a lot out of people who want to dominate me. If you want to top me, you better bring your A game. And, and what, what does that mean? Like what? Well, I do this. I do this a lot, and right. I'm very good at it. And I'm probably better than you are. <laughs> I guarantee you that you are. So it's that's pretty disappointing when you know. It, well, it, like a lot of our clients, a lot of the clients that we see at the dungeon, they're not submissives in their day-to-day -day lives. They sit in the corner office, you know. They're leasing Cadillacs. They're not typically blue-collar wage earners. And they come here to get a vacation from reality. Conversely, if I'm in the submissive position, I'm also looking forward to a vacation from reality. I don't want to have to babysit what somebody's doing to me. I want to be able to tune out and just appreciate the experience. As a submissive, what's your sort of go-to activity? Oh, if I'm asked to suggest something for a play scene... I can enjoy different types of role play. I love being tied up in various forms of bondage. That's a lot of fun. One issue that we need to address relates to Cleo's history with submission. Since he was 28 and she was 14, which is technically child abuse. And I don't want to downplay it because if you are 28, you have no business having sex with 14-year-olds. Period. End of story. That being said... This sort of thing is very common with both young straight women and young gay men. And in some cases, I'm sure it is damaging. In others, not so much. A lot of teenagers get involved with people who are well into adulthood, and plenty of those teenagers grow up to be well-rounded, normal adults. So before you jump to the conclusion that the reason Cleo has immersed herself in this world is because of that experience, take a second, breathe, and calm the fuck down. That relationship was clearly inappropriate. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But there is zero empirical correlation between BDSM participation as an adult and sexual abuse as a child. In fact, there are a number of studies that have looked into this and found no connection. One example that was conducted in Australia about 10 years ago interviewed a representative sample of more than 19,000 people. The results appeared in the Journal of Sexual Medicine in July of 2008 under the title Demographic and Psychosocial Features of Participants in Bondage and Discipline, Sadomasochism, or Dominance and Submission, BDSM. Data from a National Survey. And I'm just going to quickly read to you part of the study's abstract, which is available online. In total, 1.8% of sexually active people, 
2.2% of men, 1.3% of women, said they had been involved in BDSM in the previous year. This was more common among gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. People who had engaged in BDSM were more likely to have experienced oral sex and or anal sex, to have had more than one partner in the past year, to have had sex with someone other than their regular partner, and to have taken part in phone sex, visited an internet sex site, viewed an X-rated pornographic film or video, used a sex toy, had group sex, or taken part in manual stimulation of the anus, fisting or rimming. However, they were no more likely to have been coerced into sexual activity, were not significantly more likely to be unhappy or anxious. Indeed, men who had engaged in BDSM scored significantly lower on a scale of psychological distress than other men. Engagement in BDSM was not significantly related to any sexual difficulties. Conclusion. Our findings support the idea that BDSM is simply a sexual interest or subculture attractive to a minority, and for most participants, not a pathological symptom of past abuse or difficulty with quote-unquote normal sex. So participants in these activities are kinkier than the norm. They are more likely to be involved in a lot of things, including group sex and gay sex and so on, but they are not more likely to have been abused. So that's just one more untrue stereotype many in the BDSM community are upset about. It should also be noted that the fact that gay people appear more likely to engage in these activities than straight people probably doesn't have much to do with like some inherent gay kinkiness. Author sex advice columnist and activist Dan Savage addresses this quite a bit, saying essentially that because gay people go through a coming out process and have to think about their sexuality and come to terms with what turns them on, they are more likely to both recognize and embrace their kinkier inclinations. Here's how Tynan put it. The sex that we have is already um, outlawed. I mean, if we, we're already oppressed over who we fuck and how we fuck them. I mean, it's just, you've, it's like, how much worse can it get? Why don't we just throw another gallon of gas on the fire? I mean, I, there's just fewer inhibitions there because, in the words of Margaret Cho, when you're oppressed over who you fuck, you're going to kick up your heels and fuck. So it's safe to say there are a lot of straight people out there who are interested in exploring kink, perhaps in a BDSM context or something else. And if you are one of these people, you really should branch out and find a way to explore your erotic imagination. Not surprisingly, Benedito agrees with me on this point. I just really hope that anyone who listens to this who may feel like they're not even kinky, just kinkier than they live right now, you should know that whatever you're into, and I really mean that, there is someone else out there who wants to do the exact same thing at the opposite end. <laughs> and you should go and find them because you make someone very happy. Plus yourself, of course, you know. But it's really true. I mean, I, 
my sexual horizon I thought was fairly big when I joined the scene. And I could not even imagine half the things that I've seen since. Of course, you can't tell me you've seen crazy things without giving some details. I mean, let's just say I've seen things that are super offensive, right? Like to the eye, you know, just things that are crazy and horrid. Except they happen between consenting adults. And so they became wonderful, you know, because those are like the dirty, deep fantasies these people have, right? Just one horrid thing, one horrid thing. Uh, I really, I really shouldn't talk about that. I feel, I, I'm sorry. I, there's something brilliant I could tell you, and I will tell you in person, but I will not tell you on record because I feel like I'd be outing someone because the scene is so unique that okay. they might feel like they might be recognized, you know, just because people have been talking about it. I'm okay. sorry. We'll, we'll talk about it off the record. We'll talk I about it off the record. And yeah. I won't talk about it on the record, yeah, right. but I, you've, you've definitely piqued my interest. Oh, I'm, uh, I hope I did. <laughs> He did tell me about this particular scene, and I would love to share it with you. But I'm going to respect his wishes and just say it was really interesting and a very creative approach to vaginal stimulation. I did, however, get him to go on the record about another spectacle he witnessed. And one of the craziest scenes I've certainly seen was a girl getting pierced with like maybe 120 needles, having 120 threads threaded through those needles and then her being suspended from those 120 threads with her full body weight and being spun around. I mean, that's the kind of thing you see at some of these parties and the first time you see it, it, it will get you, you know? I mean, there's no way that's not shocking. The there's got to be blood with that, right? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah, there blood? is. But there is a fair amount of blood involved there, you know? And, I mean, that's, you know, I've seen that, you know, in variable context and variable people and so on yeah I mean it seems like a really extreme fetish I would say I mean most people find I, I found it pretty extreme when I saw it first you know now I sort of walk past it I'm like oh look there was someone getting suspended by Andrew fine You've, you're bored with it at this point I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty blase about it these days you know I mean it's not something I'm into personally I don't do needles or blood I'm, I don't find blood sexy personally and in the beginning I found you know just seeing blood it was kind of not, not a turn off it was more like you know like wow I really don't want to do that I'm like whoa you know I can't see that and now I sort of just watch it in, in morbid fascination you know and it's really entertaining and it's still not a turn on per se but it's definitely something that gets me excited you know I'm like there's something crazy happening and someone is clearly getting off in a massive way, you know? It's good. That's part of what was great about this party. People displayed an array of fetishes, and even though not everyone was into every fetish on display, there was a level of respect and appreciation for self-expression. One of the party guests I spoke with requested the alias Jackie Kennedy, and here's what the former first lady had to say about the vibe at the party. People here are very unselfconscious. The like worst thing you can be is judgmental. And it's really nice to experience um, an environment where people really like don't judge you for anything and where sexuality can be very open and where um, power dynamics can be very fluid. And uh, personally, I find that very attractive and um, very aesthetically pleasing. Another party attendee, we'll call her Eleanor Roosevelt, 
echoed some of these same sentiments. This is my fourth or third time here. Okay, fourth or third. And what what attracts you to this space? Well, I think as a nursing student, I feel a lot of judgment in my nine to five. So to be someplace where there's no judgment and just a lot of acceptance is a really beautiful thing. Eleanor also likes to come to Continuum for its unicorns. For anyone not familiar with the concept of a unicorn, it is the third person a couple finds for a threesome. Most commonly, the term unicorn is used to describe a straight or bi-female who joins forces with a straight couple. They are very much in demand and can be difficult to find, but apparently not at Continuum Dungeon. You're coupled right now, right? Yes. Have you... Are you looking for a unicorn? Have, have you... Yes. Have you found one here? Well, we did find a few. We found a couple uh, unicorns that we're interested in. Have you... Have you done anything with them yet? Or? Well, we went to their house. We went to a New Year's Eve party, so that's something. But are you still waiting to consummate that relationship? I mean, I'm very particular. I mean, I don't know if I want to consummate every unicorn that I come in contact with. You know, I'm just I'm feeling it out a little bit. So, okay, so you're still searching for that perfect yes. unicorn. Yes. But this is a great place to do that. This is like a hunting ground. Very much. Very much a hunting ground. It goes back to that Australian study. People involved in BDSM are more likely to engage in group sex, so it makes perfect sense that a dungeon might be a great place to find someone for a threesome. It's also a great place to accidentally witness a public sex act. Here's Jackie Kennedy once again. People are very people are very open to participating in very explicit things here. Are you talking um, about the blowjob? Yeah, there was like a blowjob happening in the corner. And I wouldn't be surprised if like other things of that nature happen on a regular basis. And I, I really appreciate the fact that nobody judges. Nobody really like takes that amiss. Um, but it, it was sort of uh, not exactly surprising, but it was sort of startling. <laughs> to see that, like, people were very open about that. I was like, oh, there's was, a blowjob. Yeah, but pretty much it was like, oh, okay, well, I mean, cool. when you considered before, it was like only spanking, and then all of a sudden there's all sorts of new things happening, like, just in an hour or so. I mean, female sexuality seems to be a little bit prioritized, mm. and all of a sudden it was like, oh, there's a penis involved. Okay, cool. Sometimes a penis gets involved. And when I talked to Mistress Cleo about some of the things that surprise women who are thinking about becoming pro-doms, it is often how involved penises can be when it comes to dom work. Some people don't realise the sexual element of the nature. Like, I mean, obviously we don't perform any prostitution activities, but the client you know, is allowed to masturbate at the end of the session and some people don't realize that and maybe I'm not comfortable with it but um, you know usually usually the ones who are not going to be comfortable with everything I weed those out in the interview process because I have a whole checklist of what can be expected of a person uh, to do during session and if you know they're like iffy on 
some of the major uh, activities, then I tell them right there, you know, you're probably not right for this industry. What's on that checklist? Everything I've mentioned, really, like uh, CBT, corporal, nipple play, nipple torture, electoral play, um, smothering, uh, role plays, smoking fetish, uh, wrestling, um, cross, you know, cross-dressing, feminization, bondage, corporal, um, you know, force anal, anal training, um, uh, body worship, foot worship. But if you are comfortable with all of that and you put in the work and you do this job well and build a client base, you will be compensated quite nicely. What is the going rate for an hour-long session? Two fifty. Okay, so it's it's two fifty an hour, mm-hmm. and is does it matter what you want to do? Is that just the flat for? That includes just about everything: um, showers, golden showers, brown showers, which don't come through that often, but uh, those things carry an extra fee. Um, wrestling carries an extra fee. Certain types of body worship carry an extra fee, but other than that, everything is included. How, how, how often do people request like a golden shower? Uh, fairly frequently, uh, maybe at least one out of every ten sessions, someone will. And, and what, what's the, the going rate for, for that? $50. Okay. Yeah. So it's just like if, if you had like an hour session, it would be $300 if it included that. Correct. And then um, I, I love the euphemism of a, of a brown shower. It's most people who ask for that don't even, they're, they're wankers. They call on the phone, but they don't ever call, come in for it. Um, if they do come in for it, there is an extra 200 Okay. Um... But that's pretty infrequent. Yeah. I've had a number of sex workers, including some escorts, tell me that the most annoying part of their job is receiving prank phone calls. Another part of Cleo's job that she's not in love with is anal play in general. But when I asked her what her favorite activities were, she had quite a list. Heavy corporal, CBT, electrical play, fire play, um, foot worship. And tickling. <laughs> I like that it's cock and ball torture and then tickling. Tickling can be really torturous. You got someone bound and tied up tightly and you're you know, tickling them to death. That can sometimes be more torturous than uh, a heavy corporal session. So when you say heavy corporal, how, how heavy do we get? Oh, I can use a single tail, leave lash marks and draw blood if they can take it. Now, do you find that some people think they can take it and can't? Yes. How, how, how frequent would you say that is where someone goes into a session thinking, you know, I'm ready for this and just aren't? A lot. Uh, and I think it's, it's a, you know, a male ego thing. They want to exaggerate. So, uh, well, you know, I'll ask them, like, what's your pain tolerance on 1 to 10? And they'll say, oh, yeah, 7, 8... Usually when they say that, it really means four or five. (laughs) And uh, I've also encountered that a lot at at public events that I've I've worked at, uh, at nightclubs and uh, fetish events I've done. 
it seems like you you get a, a group of guys in there and they're all, they're with all their friends and you know they talk one of them into going up to get whipped and you know or they'll 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 challenge me oh you can't hurt me nothing you can do is going to hurt me I, I i could take any of this and usually the ones that say that are the ones that are crying in five minutes and something tells me she is more than happy to make them cry while some men try to use Cleo to prove how tough they are, there are many men who use her services to explore their feminine side. Sometimes they want uh, kind of like the total transformation where they want to be transformed into a woman, full on, you know, hosiery, lingerie, dress, high heels, wig, makeup, and then taught to be a proper lady, taught how to speak like a woman, how to, you know, raise their voice and sound more feminine, how to uh, walk properly in heels, how to sit with their legs crossed. Um, then uh, some of them want to uh, be slut training, where they want to be dressed up in something really, you know, sleazy looking and maybe made to like do a pole dance or give you a lap dance and do then a strip tease for you, then be taken with a strap on. Um, and then some people want what we call forced feminization. Where uh, you know they, where humiliation is then involved, where you know they, you're you're a macho pig and you're going to learn how to walk in these heels so that you you can understand what it's like to be a woman and you're going to wear this corset and this bra and you know, when, I mean obviously it's not forced because that's what they actually want, but they want to imply that they're being forced into it. When I asked them about their favorite activities, both Mistress Elena Croft and Mistress Desiree voiced an appreciation for knife play. What happens in a knife play session? Oh, it could, it could be as light as simply caressing your skin with the flat of the blade or showing you the knife. Psychological torture, letting you see it letting you be aware of it, perhaps just grazing your throat with the edge of the blade while I have your hair in my hand tugging your head back. Don't move. Don't breathe. Do you cut as well? Or? I certainly have. Yes, I have. And is that, is that scary to you? at all or um no it was for a long time it was but as with anything else practice breeds confidence and skill what would you say the key is to cutting someone with a knife safely there are too many elements to this particular form of play for me to sum it up with one safety tip and technique. This is not beginner level shit, okay? This is major league stuff and deserves respect and disclaimer, don't try this at home. There are too many ways for amateurs to really mess it up. It's something that I approach with respect and caution and I am loath to give one safety tip that could emphasize knife play. 
but Desiree's main love seems to be teaching safety instruction as well as mentoring apprentice doms. And that makes sense if you know her professional background. I also taught elementary school. (laughs) Desiree's class is an entry-level course covering the basics of BDSM for couples. It happens every other month, and you can sign up by contacting Desiree at the dungeon. That phone number is found on our dungeon website at continuumchicago.com. And uh, a $50 fee covers a two-hour class for a couple who will take training literature home with them. Um, If a couple takes the training class and that gives them a good foundation in the basics, then I will give them an hour of private instructional training for the same fee, $50, if they come as a couple. That's a 50% discount on my normal rate for that class. But I do feel that if you're going to explore these things, you need to have a firm foundation and basic safety. And if you take the class, you should probably be on your best behavior. You don't want to heckle me when I'm delivering BDSM instruction training. (laughs) I believe You might find yourself walking away with a few stripes you hadn't anticipated. (laughs) Don't don't heckle someone with a whip. No, no, it's just a good rule of thumb to abide by. If you're not familiar with the world of BDSM and you are interested in exploring it, do a little bit of reading first and perhaps take Desiree's class but you should probably avoid 50 shades of bullshit for all of the reasons highlighted earlier. I'd like to thank everyone who spoke with me. The BDSM community was so ridiculously open and generous, and it was a real honor to get to know the people I spoke with for this episode. Thanks again, guys. Special thanks as always to Louis DeMeo and Sean Payne for technical support. You guys are fantastic. To learn more about Continuum, go to continuumchicago.com. To learn more about sex educator, blogger, and activist Tynan Fox, go to tynanfox.com. And to hear more music from the composer of our theme song, Ben Jordan, The Flashbulb, go to benjordan.com or flashbulb.net. And I hope you join me again in two weeks for episode four, Sex at Mardi Gras. I'm very excited about that episode. I talk to natives, tourists, sex workers, and psychics, as well as sex columnist and author of nine books, Stephanie Iris Weiss. It's going to be a good time. Thanks again for listening.